an initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Faithandreason.com. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Well, one of the problems I had, you know, I flew down here and uh, some of my luggage got messed up and so I've got, you know, I don't have a lot of talks, but I've had a couple of them. I want to make sure that I, I'm giving the right one here. So the, the first one is, because I know you guys are kind of radicals, so uh, I, I want to make sure you understand a couple, I don't have time to go through all 12 rules, but there's two you've got to pay attention to. One is rule number five. Ridicule is man's most potent weapon. There is no defense, okay? Number 12, pick the target, freeze it, personalize it, and polarize it. Oh, wait a second, that's, that's not the right talk for this place. That's right. <laughs> this is uh, Saul Alinsky's 12 Rules for Radicals. Uh, this is the one I gave to uh, TV executives and community organizers, but that's a, that, 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 that's a different one. Uh, this, you, you, this is like a religious school, right? So kind of a Catholic school. So maybe, maybe the one I'm supposed to be giving is this one, The Gospel According to Peanuts. I mean, that's, that's one of the ones very, very popular when I was growing up in the 60s, believe it or not. But, but obviously, I don't think that's what I'm supposed to be talking about, so I'll do the best I can. But as all good Catholic uh, talks, at least, you know, with Scott Hahn and all these great speakers, Pat Madrid, all these people I've gotten to know over the years, you know, they always start these things off with like a story or a joke or something. So I'll, I'm a lousy joke teller, but, but, but here it goes, okay? There's this, uh, the Pope passes away and he goes to heaven. And he shows up there, and there's St. Peter standing, them, standing there with another guy. And uh, it turns out the other fellow is a television executive, okay? And St. Peter's got this beautiful big limo with the, uh, with the Pope. And he says, come on, you know, I'm going to take you to where you're going to be spending eternity. You know, we have, you know, as our Lord said, there's mansions in heaven for everybody, okay? Great. So they get in the car, and they're riding through heaven, and it's beautiful, it's unbelievable. And there's this giant mansion, unbelievable mansion up on this hill. And the Pope's thinking, wow, hey, not bad. That's pretty good, huh? And he starts going up the hill, and uh, they tell uh, St. Peter says, okay, uh, Mr. TV executive, you get out. This is your place. And the Pope's taken aback a little bit. The guy's like, I can't believe it. This is unbelievable. This is better than I could ever imagine. So he goes there. And the Pope's thinking, wow, if that's what a television executive gets, what do you think a Pope gets? And so they're driving down along the road, and they end up going down this street that kind of looks like Queens, New York, with a bunch of little houses once in a row, and these little tiny backyards with these little Italian men, you know, growing fig trees in their backyard. And they come to the end of it, and they stop, and uh, St. Peter says, okay, Holy Father, the, here you are, this is your spot. He said, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, I have this little townhouse over here with this little tiny yard, and that, that television executive guy got this mansion on top of the hill, and St. Peter said, well, you know, we don't get a lot of television executives up here. We got a lot of popes, so. <laughs> you know, so we have to take them as we can get them. And obviously, uh, you can change that to whoever you want. And just remember, Chesterton said, it is the test of a good religion whether you can joke about it. So just remember, as Catholics, we have to make sure that we're not too serious all the time. Anyway, somehow I came up with the title, Real Leadership in a Virtual Universe. That sounded really interesting to me. I had no idea what it meant when I made it up. <laughs> and then they asked me, can you send us some talking points about it? And I said, oh, okay, now I'll have to figure out what it actually means. But I guess we're really talking about reality, which I always try to say to people with EW10, we are reality television because the eternal truth is the only thing that's really real at the end of the day. 
okay? And so we're real reality television. These other things are not real. And, uh, and we are living in a virtual universe of subjectivity. I mean, really, it's, you can create your own world and everybody says, hey, what's your truth is my truth and we can all get along. So, as they used to say in the 60s, what is reality? I mean, that's a question we deal with today all the time because everything is seemingly subjective. And I would say even my own estimation, you know, many times, you know, people talk, but they don't think, they just feel, they just emote. Many times they'll say, I think, but they're really saying how I feel, not about how they really think about it. And yet, after all, you can't deny people their feelings, right? Even in marriage encounter, which I went through, they say feelings are not right or wrong, they just are, and it's true. It's what you do with the feelings that matter, not that, that you have those feelings. Somebody does something and you want to get upset, it's, it's the human nature to get upset. It's what you do with that upsetment that really uh, gauges whether you're doing the right thing. And of course, uh, toleration is the greatest virtue today, as we all know. There's nothing higher than tolerance. Of course, Chesterton said, tolerance is the virtue of the man without convictions little different perspective on tolerance. And one of the things you learn today, and as young people, I think in your generation, see it more than ever, it's the concept of fairness. Everything's about fairness. Years ago when I worked in New York, and there was a union uh, petition signed, because we had a non-union facility, and I had to deal with uh, the lawyers and how we were gonna defend against having the, it was the IBEW who was coming in, International Broadcasters and Electrical Workers Union, okay? And uh, I remember talking to the lawyer, you know, just what I went into television to do, to spend time with a lawyer, uh, and he said, what do you think the problem is? And I said, well, people are underpaid and work conditions. He said, no, those, that's not it. It's all about fairness. It really is all about fairness. That's what people want. They want it to be treated fairly. And in fact, if you think about it today in our recent political world, how often do you hear that word used? Fairness. It's great because no one can define it. Because what's fair to you is fair to somebody else. It can be totally different. In fact, uh, Oscar Wilde, who if you uh, believe Joe Pierce, uh, actually became a Catholic on his deathbed. Joe Pierce, the author. Oscar Wilde said, life is never fair, and perhaps it's a good thing for most of us that it's not. Because if life was fair, there's a lot of other people in the world who have worse situations than you do, or I do. And so we have to start to think about what we lose when we start talking about what's fair. So let's talk about leadership. Uh, you know, I'm always big on quotes. One of the uh, famous, uh, people in management theory when I was growing up was a, a, a gentleman by the name of Peter Drucker. I don't know if people have heard of Peter Drucker, probably not so much anymore. Uh, he said effective leadership is not about making speeches, like this obviously, being liked. Leadership is defined by results, not attributes. It, it's what you get done. Management is doing things right. Leadership is doing the right things. Okay, but that can also mean the old idea of your faith in doing the right thing in being a leader, in being willing to stand up for what you believe. Uh, as General Patton said, versus Eisenhower. People know who Eisenhower is? General Eisenhower, World War II, was the president. And General Patton, two interesting different personalities on leadership. Eisenhower's version was leadership is the art of getting someone else to do something you want done because he wants to do it, okay? That's the best way to do it. If you have something that wants to get done, 
there's nothing better than having the person who you want to do it want to do it himself as well, that he wants to do this project or job. Okay? Patton, on the other hand, said, we herd sheep, we drive cattle, we lead people. Lead me, follow me, or get out of my way. Okay? And lead, follow, get out of my way. When I worked in New York, I worked for a period of time uh, with a sports uh, network, and we worked with the New York Yankees. And there was a fellow by the name of George Steinbrenner, who some people might know, uh, owned the Yankees. And uh, that's what he had blazoned across in his office. Lead, follow, or get out of the way. So it's not the most Christian approach to things, but it's the way sometimes you'll find the way business is. But let's talk about leadership in the context of something that maybe you can relate to for a school like Steubenville as well. And I have to give credit here to a uh, Doug Rice who came up with leadership from a biblical perspective. It's on the web. I stole it from him, but filled in a couple of pages right here. And I thought it was very interesting when he talked about great leadership, and he talks about it related to the Bible. So let's just go through it. Noah, lead leaders do what's right even if they're alone. So there you have Noah. He's all by himself doing something. And that's what great leaders do. They do it even when they're the only one who thinks this is what should get done. Abraham, leaders embrace the unknown. When you're a leader, you're going to have to step out. Okay? You can't run companies by committee or consensus. You know, if you're going to be a leader out there, you have to be willing to risk. And that means stepping out into the unknown. Uh, as I said, we were having dinner, but the famous line of Mother Angelica always was, faith is one foot in the air and a queasy feeling in your stomach. Moving forward. And that's somebody who I think a lot of people would view and say, oh, Mother Angelica was inspired by the Lord and she knew what to do and it was always clear and she wasn't afraid of anything. That's baloney. You know? She was as nervous as the next person. She might have known she had to do it one way or the other because she believed this is what God wanted her to do, but it didn't mean that she wasn't worried or nervous about it. Number three, Joseph. Leaders endure in spite of circumstances. There you have Joseph and his brothers. No matter what, he came through in the end. The same kind of thing. You as a leader have to make it under fire from a military perspective. I mean, one of the things I think is important if you get out there and lead is you don't want your people to see you sweat. If you look worried, they get worried. They'll look to you. If you look like you're things are under control, even when they're not, that will keep them calm. But if you panic, it'll be a panic, and everybody goes down the tubes. What about Moses? Leaders stick up for their people. Of course, you know, remember when God said, well, it's these people with the lamb, you know, and the sheep, I should just smite them. And, and Moses stood up for his people. And as a good leader, that's what you need to do. You need to make sure that the people who work for you ultimately see you as their defender. Not the person who's out to figure out how to give them a hard time, but that you're the person who, if they work hard for you, you're willing to stand up for them. What I like to say to people who work for me is, it's a very simple equation. The harder you work for me, the harder I work for you. The less you work for me, the less I work for you. It's very simple. I'm from New York, I'm pretty straight. But that's what I like to say. And I think it's important for people to understand because clarity and communication is so important in leadership. Uh, Joshua, leaders rule by example rather than command, you know. When Joshua in the Battle of Jericho, he was in the front line. He wasn't back there telling everybody from the tent, hey, go blow the horns, uh, wait till I get a, a little back further before the walls come tumbling down. So that's a thing that's really important too. You're going to be involved with leadership of any organization, you've got to get your hands dirty, especially in this world. Because the people who work for you these days are not going to just do what you tell them to do because you're the boss. They're going to do it because they believe you know what you're, you're doing. And they'll ask you 
to see if you know what you're doing. So don't be surprised when all these people who are just supposed to follow you in lockstep have a lot of questions about why they're being asked to do this. Uh, David, leaders are not afraid of giants. I mean, you have to be willing to stick up for what's right no matter what. I mean, that's one thing Mother Angelica did. I mean, against some pretty tall giants at different times in and outside the church, but it didn't matter because at the end of the day for Mother, it was all about her spouse, Jesus. That's all she cared about. That's who she always defended. That's what it was always all about. There's Isaiah, leaders rise to the occasion. There's Daniel, leaders maintain their resolve without regard for consequences. You know, sitting there being boiled or heated up, you know, just that whole idea that even if you're gonna have to go through trials, you can't not stand by your beliefs. If you don't have beliefs, then what are you? You know, then we might as well be talking, you know, I should be doing a talk on the Prince or, and Machiavelli or someone like that who has another perspective on uh, the end justifying the means, so to speak. John the Baptist, leaders aren't afraid to call out the phonies. Uh, he lost his head, literally, because he was willing to do that. He was willing to call a spade a spade and say, and not worry about the consequences. You know, Jesus our Lord, leaders are servants, obviously, clearly, servant leadership. I mean, washing the apostles' feet. I mean, there's obviously theological connotations to the priesthood and things like that. But just that whole idea of never lording it over people and telling the apostles, don't lord it over people. Uh, Peter, leaders recover from failure. You know, Peter was rambunctious. He did certain things he didn't always understand. Uh, he denied our Lord three times, as we all know. But the difference, as they say, between him and Judas is he realized it and repented. Where Judas didn't, he despaired. So you can make a mistake. And that's a really important thing as a person who's a leader. Don't think you need to be omniscient. Don't think that people don't understand that you don't know. In fact, the best thing you can do is tell people when you don't know. Because if you fake it, they get it. And then if you're faking it on this, they start wondering what else are you faking it on. And that's not a good thing. I remember Carl Keating. In fact, I was at, uh, in Steubenville in 1992 or 93, whatever year it was, for one of the conferences. And uh, before I was at EWTN, and, and Carl Keating was here from Catholic Answers. I don't know if people know who Carl Keating is. But Carl was one of the early apologists out there, and he always used to say the same thing. If I don't know the answer, I don't make it up. I know there's an answer, I just gotta find out what it is, and I'll come back with what it is, but I'm not gonna make something up. And it's the same thing in leadership. Don't make up stuff. Uh, I had a, a boss one time when I was working in New York. We launched, uh, there's Court TV and these Court channels that are on now. Well, at one time, my company, which was AMC and Bravo and these other, we were launching a channel, I think, one was going to be called In Court, and the other one was another. There was two court channels going to happen at the same time. And we were talking with the senior management uh, about launching this channel, and there was some concern about distribution. And this woman who I worked with at the time was uh, Sharon Patrick, who was actually the one who took uh, Martha Stewart public, and she was the president there for a while and everything. So these pretty high-powered personalities and types. And I remember her saying, you know, well, listen, you know, uh, as this Mark said that, uh, you know, look at all the studies and the statistics who showed in analysis this was, this was going to be successful. And the CFO started laughing. He said, there were no studies. He just made it up. He wanted to do this, so he just told them there were studies that showed this was going to work. And she was flabbergasted. She had no idea that we had committed to this based on somebody just making up their own facts. This person was famous for saying, don't let facts get in the way of what you want to do. 
I'm not sure if that's a great leadership thing, but that's what he used to do. It's entrepreneurial at times. And then St. Paul, leaders are passionate for what they believe in. We all know that St. Paul was very passionate. And I think that's why it's important. And we were talking a little bit, I think, with some of the leadership group over dinner, the idea of if you can find out what you like to do, what you think is important and passionate, and channel your energies into that in such a way that you can do something that you feel is a good use of your life and of your time, that's a wonderful place to be. Uh, and also, uh, as an old teacher of mine said, you know, figure out what you do well and focus on that. It's great to be well-rounded. There are some Renaissance people here and there. There's not a lot. And if you're going to compete out there, it's best if you're competing with your best game, you know what I mean, rather than trying to be all things to all people. So it's good to be rounded, but try and figure that out and see if you can focus into that approach. Anyway, talking more about my own experiences management, I think it seems today, at least in younger people, you can tell, we live in a very egalitarian world, okay? Uh, it's like the expression, who died and made you king, okay? Suddenly you're telling me what to do and you know, you've been here for 20 years but that doesn't matter because I know as much as you do. And, and that's a lot of what we see today. Uh, years ago there was a much more of an attitude in some of the generations versus the X's and the Y's and the millennials and the baby boomers in the idea of, in TV, you came in, you paid your dues. It's great to go to school, you learn a lot, but you really learn it, nothing against the communication arts department or any other department, you really learn it by doing and it's working in the business with people who know how to do it. And if you work with them and you're willing to go get coffee and do all the basic stuff, they'll train you and teach you how to do it. They're happy to do it. And that's how it works. But this world is a little different. A lot of people come out with the expectation they're gonna start where their parents ended up. I mean, I used to have that even where I worked before, where people wanted to, where we lived on Long Island, they wanted to go and have the house their parents had. And I used to say, I understand, but it took them 20 years to get that. You need to understand that your, your mom and dad didn't start out there. That's where they're, they're finishing, but you want to start there. But it's difficult because it's not fair, okay, so. And working in media, you recognize the importance of communication to be an effective leader. I think there's nothing I could say more, and, and, and I, I know they use this quote on that uh, picture that looks like my ordination picture there, uh, <laughs> you know, from how many years ago, you know. But, <laughs> Apparently, apparently he's the only one people at EW10 think makes me look good or something. I don't know, but whatever. Uh, anyway, uh, St. Francis de Sales says, friendship requires great communication. And that's what, really what it's all about. It's really all about being straight with people and being honest with people and being loving in your communication, but being honest with your communication. The, the mantra that I've always used in, um, in uh, business and working has been something I call managing expectations. Okay, you know, I say it so often that people kind of, they mouth it as I start to say it at work. Because I, I really came to the, the, the idea that all pain that exists in relationships is the space between what I expect and what you expect, okay? That I think it's supposed to be here, you think it's supposed to be here, you don't realize I think it's supposed to be here, I don't realize you think it's supposed to be here, and it's all this upsetment in between, you know? How come it's not like this? It's supposed to be like this. You were supposed to do this. I didn't, you know, just that idea of being very clear and understanding. This is what I expect you to do. Do you understand that? Do you agree to those expectations? Because the other thing management people do sometimes is tell people to do these things or say, well, this is it. And I'll say, well, did they agree to that? 
especially if it was another department? I mean, I know this is what you'd like them to do, but is it fair for you to just pass along an edict and now they're supposed to do it? They might have walked out of the morning and said, no, I'm not doing that. So I think it's really important that you be clear when you're a leader and that you be open to feedback. Doesn't mean you do what people tell you to do, okay? Being open to feedback doesn't mean I listen to you, you tell me what to do, and I do it. It means I'm open to listening to another perspective. And what's really important is don't assume, you know the old joke, you know what assume means, right? Can I say it here? Can it make an ass out of you and me? Uh, if you assume. You can't assume anything. All the things we assume are wrong. Especially, I'll tell you, in TV. TV and radio, which is a minute by minute, the world changes all the time, okay? When we leave on Friday, the world happens over the weekend. It's not like you roll up the carpet at five o'clock and then it, you open up the keys on Monday and the world's the same. It hasn't. It's always changing, it's always different. We're launching a new, new show. I've worked in news. It's, it's a 24-7 beast that never sleeps. And so you have to always double check everything because if something can go wrong, the old Murphy's Law, it goes wrong. And you know what you find out even worse? As Bishop Sheen found out when he was the great communicator, if you're doing it for Jesus, it's going to get you even more trouble. Everything that could go wrong. He used to talk about they'd go to do his shows and how many problems they'd have with the audio and other things. The recording wouldn't happen. And so it's always good to have a priest once in a while if things get tough, saying, go in and bless that machine there, Padre. You know, we got our friars in the studio. Can you give us a, you know, we go around, they bless the whole facility. Every August 15th, we do a complete blessing of all of our facilities. Uh, and I'm not kidding, because it's true, you know? Uh, I remember one time when I was uh, back in uh, 2000, when we were, up in, we were up in Stockbridge, and we were doing the event from there uh, for Divine Mercy. And at the same time, Faustina was being uh, canonized in Rome. It was the same day, Divine Mercy. And uh, we had our KU truck, our uplink truck, was parked alongside the shrine. And it was a new truck, and uh, we, had, we were doing two things at once. We were actually doing that and then doing the other Mass, either with Father Groeschel and Raymond Arroyo were there at the time. And we suddenly realized, just before we were ready to go up, that we're not on the satellite. I don't know why the guy took us so long to tell us we're not on the satellite, but meaning Birmingham can't see us, we're not hitting the satellite. So I run over to the truck, and the guy's like, I think, you know, I think the building's in the way. Okay, he's hitting the building, and we're like, well, this is ridiculous. And there's an army of people. If you've ever been to Stockbridge, there's thousands of people in this field, and it's all muddy. And it, we're like, well, we've got to roll the truck forward, you know? And it's like, this is impossible. So I just, you know, I just said, listen, St. Faustina, you want people to see this, you better do something about it. He said, I don't know how we did it, but we're on the verge. I don't know how it happened either. But it changed right then. I can tell you that. I can't tell you why, but I can tell you it happened. The same thing happened when we were doing the shepherds, the little, little shepherd children from Fatima. We were covering that event. We were having all these technical problems, you know, and I told uh, Jacinta and Francisco they better help us out here or we're not going to be able to see very much of this event. And as soon as I said that, I was standing in master control, the feed cleared up. Again, I'm not telling you what to believe. I can't guarantee you that it wasn't a natural cause, but I can tell you that's what happened. So, when you're dealing with things in the spiritual realm, just be realized, you, you know, I remember somebody had said, an actress who said something to Mel Gibson, who said, when he made The Passion, said, why do you think you can make a movie like this and you're not gonna get it in the neck, okay? People are not gonna be happy. Remember the old joke they used to say, the devil sleeps in Hollywood, you know? 
He doesn't have to bother anybody. Or, you know, if you know about the, uh, the great uh, tormentors in, uh, in, in C.S. Lewis, uh, the whole idea of the tempter, if people are going along doing the wrong thing, you just leave them alone. You don't bother with those people. The people you bother are the people who are doing the right thing. So managing expectations. I think a couple of quotes. Uh, rank does not confer privilege or give power. It imposes responsibility. If you're a leader, you're responsible. It doesn't mean you're in charge so everybody else can do the work. Okay? You have to distribute work, but you don't dump work. And you have to make sure that people have the right ability to carry through with the job you're asking them to do. Okay? And uh, I've searched all the parks in all the cities and found no statues of committees. That's G.K. Chesterton. So again, like I said about that situation, it isn't that they can't see the solution, it's that they can't see the problem. That's Chesterton as well. And that's what a lot of things that goes on in organizations can be, is that especially in an organization which has existed for a period of time. I know at EWTN, many times people couldn't see there was a solution exactly because they didn't see the problem. And many times that was because the communication between various departments wasn't there. There's an old expression, uh, it used to be in, in management there, goal congruence, okay? Just, in other words, we have to have the same goal. You know, sometimes people show me an ad or something we've done. I remember years ago, there was this particular piece that was done to go mailed out to cable operators. And I said, that's a very nice looking piece. They said, yes, we send this out. And I said, and when they get it, what do they do with it? Uh, what do you want them to do with it? They couldn't answer either question. I said, then why are we doing it? First of all, I can tell you what they do with it. They throw it away. Because I worked in cable, I know what we do with those things. But that whole idea, if you don't know your end result, you don't know where your goal and what you're trying to hit, whether it's heaven or anything else, how are you going to figure out how to build the bridge to where you want to go if you don't know where you want to go? Another one that I found is my own particular management style. I called it wandering in the desert to make it biblical, but it was kind of management by walking around. Okay? And I used to think this was something I made up. Or I think it was because, you know, I went to the bathroom a lot. I don't know, but I was always out leaving my desk and wandering around. But at the end of the day, I actually found out that a guy from, I think, which company was, he actually wrote a book about it. And it's really the idea of staying in touch with what's going on, not hiding up in your ivory tower, your office, or wherever you are. You know, you really need to know what's, not just what people are telling you is going on. I think that's what, in a lot of cases, what our Holy Father's doing right now in Rome. He, he doesn't want to be told what's going on. He wants to see what's going on for his own eyes. And again, very Jesuit, the whole idea of I listen, consensus, that's great, but I make the decision at the end of the day. You know, we think of the Jesuits being there, but that's how they tend to make their listening sessions and then there's a decision that's made. So I think in some ways that's kind of what he's trying to do. And so when you're down there, it's amazing what you see. First of all, if you're around a lot, people get to see that you're accessible, so that's a good thing. Okay? They feel like you're committed, you care about them. That is important. Uh, and also, at the same time, you see people doing things that you go, what is this about? Why are we, what are you doing? Why are we still doing this? You know, I mean, we're still making buggy whips in the corner of the, why are we still doing this? I, I, who is it, in Chicago or something like that? And you talk about the government, once something's created, it never goes away. There's still some guy who's like the commissioner of buggy whips or something like that, because these things never die. So, you know, you have to go through and make sure you understand what the system is. And what you'll learn in management, especially management now or leadership now, if you don't change, you die. If you're doing things today the way you did them five years ago, 
You may not be around in five years. You have to change. And the curve is getting faster and faster and faster to adapt and change. It's just the way it is. Uh, St. Augustine said, do you wish to rise, begin by descending. You plan a tower that will pierce the clouds. Lay first the foundation of humility, which of course is the toughest thing that there is, especially to be a humble leader, because after all, I'm in charge, and you should listen to me, and I don't have to explain myself. And after all, I should have all the best ideas, and so your idea can't be good, because I'm supposed to have the best ones because otherwise people think maybe I shouldn't be in charge. Well, great leaders learn that the best thing they can do is build a team around them of people who are smarter than they are in the things they're not smart in. So if there's anything you can do from a leadership perspective is figure out what do I do well, what are the things I don't do well, and let me find a team of people who do those things well so that the sum is greater, you know, the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts kind of an idea. That's, that's the way I think a leader has to work. Also, uh, I love quotes from different leaders. And Napoleon Bonaparte, of all people, said, never ascribe to malice that which is adequately, adequately explained by incompetence. Don't think somebody did this because they don't like you or screwed up because you know, they're trying to give you a hard time. It could be that they just know what they're doing. Or they could be that nobody ever told them how to do it right. Or they weren't aware that you wanted this done. I've had more discussions with people who said, well, if I could just give it to me this way, it would be so much easier. And I said, well, did you ever ask him? Well, no. And then you go talk to them. They said, oh, I didn't know. If you want me to do it that way, I can do it that way. Again, it, so much of it is just really about communication. Vince Lombardi said, people who work together will win, whether it is to be against complex football defenses or the problems of modern society. Bonaparte also said, Napoleon said, the people to fear are not those who disagree with you, but those who disagree with you but are too cowardly to let you know. Okay. It's actually better to have people who are willing to be honest with you and tell you when you got a problem. Unfortunately, sometimes in life we've seen people, even inside the church, other places, uh, with the Elvis syndrome, where there wasn't somebody willing to tell them, hey, you know what, maybe you should go to confession. Or maybe you better take a look at how you're living your life before you go off the rails. But they don't want to do it because they want to be associated with this person. So, those who love to be feared, fear to be loved. That's St. Francis de Sales. And this is another one that George Patton said, if everyone is thinking alike, then somebody isn't thinking. Okay? And I think that's really true. I mean, you want ultimately unanimity at the end of the decision when it's made. Everybody gets on board. But you want to have some different situations. I know as a management person, uh, nothing annoys me more than somebody comes to me and they some senior management person, I understand if it's a person working on the floor or a tape operator, they come and give you the problem and they look at you. And I say, okay, well you're a manager, aren't you? Right, okay. Your job is not to tell me what's wrong, your job is to make me aware of it and offer me alternatives. Because what your job is, is to force me to make a decision. That's what your job is. Because most senior managers, they don't want to decide. Because if I decide, then all of a sudden I'm responsible. And if I can let it float around and act, uh, you know, plausible deniability, ever hear that one? Well, I really wasn't aware. When I worked at uh, AMC in New York, there was a guy from uh, Metro Media, which was Channel 5 in New York, which is now the Fox station in New York. This, this gentleman came in, he was a highfalutin executive. And I noticed after a period of time that he always came to meetings late and left early. And I finally realized he did that so he could claim, he could claim later that he must have not heard that at the meeting. Either, you know, I, I didn't get there right on time, so I, I guess I missed that. 
Or, you know, I left early, so I guess I missed that. You know, I thought, wow, he's really that worried. But there are people out there who are like that. So, again, uh, I think it's important that you stay in touch with your people. Make yourself available, be involved, always respond. People need to be heard. I think that's an important thing. I mean, people laugh at me because I, people write me three-page letters and I respond with yes, no, maybe, go ahead, move back, hold. And that's the joke. You know, they want to figure out, can you write it, maybe I write acronyms. I mean, I don't text, but I should be texting, I guess, these answers. But I say to them, listen, if you want an answer today, I can give it to you in one or two words. You know, unlike, I know when I went to Catholic school, the nuns always forced us if the question was something about, you know, whatever it was, and it was like, the United States Constitution, 1787, is that true? You couldn't say yes. You had to say, in, 19, in 1887, the Constitution, you had to write the answer out, okay? Well, nobody's got the time for that anymore, you know? <laughs> Who's got the time for that? So what happens is I say to people, it's very simple. Uh, if you want an answer right away, because I want to keep you moving. I believe that organizations should move and people should be moving forward because it's the only way you can keep the organization flowing. And uh, so you give quick answers like that. If I had to stop and say, rewrite an analysis for it, it would take me two days. And I would have all emails, you know, I mean, I get hundreds of emails a day. I would not be able to respond to people. The other part with that is people need to be heard, which means when people come up with an idea or a suggestion, you have to explain, whether they like it or not, why you decided what you decided. That's the world we live in today. This idea that, you know, I'm in charge and that's what we're doing and you have to listen. Now, maybe in religious life somewhere it happens that way, I don't know. But I know in business or in a mission where we are, it doesn't. And I think it's important because I think everyone wants to feel valued. And a lot of times people, A, if they understood the situation, would agree with you and think, oh, now I understand why you did that. Uh, somebody said, gee, you know, we were talking to uh, uh, Professor Gann about being in Singapore and things like this, and it's like, you know, we drown in, in a sea of opportunities. It would be great for us to do it. How come you're not doing the Today Show? How come you're not doing this? And they're all wonderful ideas. They're wonderful, great ideas. But you need to understand how much that costs and how many people it takes. And so once people understand that, it usually helps. The other part is many times I found in just explaining it, people will say, well, I don't agree, but now at least I understand. And I think that's at least half the battle uh, to these things. Uh, and St. Francis de Sales says, nothing is so strong as gentleness, nothing so gentle as real strength. And I think that's important. You don't have to bully people. Vince Lombardi said, confidence is contagious, so is lack of confidence. So again, that whole idea as a leader, making sure that you present yourself in a way that you're comfortable with your job and how you're getting things done and that they can trust that we'll do okay. But at the same time, Lombardi also said, the only place success comes before work is in the dictionary. And that's just a fact. I think anybody who thinks that there's a free lunch out there is, is gonna be severely disappointed. And there's not a free lunch in religious organizations or other parts of the church or places. Sometimes people go thinking, you know, I'm gonna go there. I mean, even like, you know, mother always talked about family. And so we had that situation at EDW 10. It is a family. I mean, mother came from a broken home and the network and the people were legitimately were her family. And trust me, she believed that. Mother Angelica was exactly the same person behind the scenes as she was on TV. If you don't like her on TV, you probably wouldn't like her in person. But she's the same person. I know, I worked directly with her for five years. She hired me, so I know that. But uh, 
Anyway, one of the things I said before is give us the tools. That's an old Churchill line. I know I'm dating myself from World War II. Uh, again, when you're working with a team of people, you have to make sure you and your team have the resources they need to accomplish the goals. You can't set up people to fail. You know, I've seen it before where people start laying on all these things you're supposed to get done, and you sit there and at the end of the day you say, you know, you add these things up, there's, there's more than there ever could be. And in the, in the, maybe people saw the movie The Producers, I think of the old TV, the old uh, movie, uh, not the musical, but the, uh, they sell the uh, springtime for Hitler, they're selling all those shares because they're gonna, you know, it's gonna be a big bust and they'll take all the money to Rio. Well, you know, at one point they realized and I asked him, well, how many shares can you sell? And he said, we can only sell 100% of anything. And how much do we sell? Oh, 24,000%, you know? The whole idea is you can only ask people to do what they can do. And if you set people up to try to ask them to do more than they can do or what they're enabled to do, they'll fail. And then they'll give up. Or they won't tell you, that's even worse, is they won't come and tell you. My whole thing in management, I would say to people you work with at the same time, is say, listen, a problem's not a problem unless I can fix it, you know? So if you wait too long, I can't fix it. If you tell me early on, there's an, there's an opportunity to adjust. So you want people to feel like there's an openness to the fact that something's not working out right. Uh, there was a line from uh, an old Monty Python film where after Lancelot goes through this whole wedding and kills all these people, and the father of the bride comes out and says, let's not worry about who killed who. That's, that's important in business and other things like that, which is that whole idea that assigning blame doesn't do anything, okay? The first thing you do is fix the problem and adjust for it and try to make sure that we, it doesn't happen again. People make mistakes. Situations have to be adjusted. That's the way it is. If you're spending your time blaming people, uh, there's a famous movie called uh, The Cane Mutiny where uh, Humphrey Bogart uh, his, 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 his ship is going in circles because he's too busy yelling at somebody on the bridge rather than worrying about where his boat is going or his ship is going. So again, I think that you have to make sure that people have what they need to get the job done. And of course, St. Augustine said, pray as though everything depended on God, work as though everything depended on you. So you have to be careful about the idea of, uh, you know, vision or uh, the idea that, well, because I think this is what the Lord wants, it's just going to happen. He might want it to happen, but he expects you to work to, to make it happen. You know, there was an old joke about this, this farmer who has, had a farm field and, a, you know, he's talking to the local pastor and the, and the pastor says, oh, look, you know, look at this field. It's, it's wonderful, you know, all the wheat and everything you've been working on. Uh, it's amazing what the Lord has given us. He said, well, you should have seen it when the Lord was taking care of it. It didn't look quite like this, you know. So we have to realize we have a part to play, otherwise what are we here for? And as I said, vision's not enough. It's great to have a vision. It's great to brainstorm and throw around ideas. But you have to pull it down. And one of the things with vision, I always think about St. Bernadette. St. Bernadette, Lord, she had a vision of Our Lady. Well, if you read Father Groeschel's wonderful book called The Still Small Voice, you'll know that there were a hundred other fake apparitions that happened at the same time in France. So the fact that someone had a vision doesn't mean it's a, the right vision or a clear vision. So you always have to test the vision, like the church would test the vision. And as a friend of mine used to say, there's more bad decisions blamed on the Holy Spirit than anybody else. 
How many people think, oh, this is what the Holy Spirit told me to do? I know there, there are TV producers who went and felt that saying so-and-so told them this was going to work and everything else. And you're sent there and saying, I understand in the, in the spiritual realm that may be true, but trying to figure out how this works in reality, I hate to use the word business model, but sometimes in church, one of the things that I found in dealing with uh, Catholic organizations is nobody wants to talk about money. Well, money's not evil. Okay, it's the love of money that's the problem. But it's, it's what people deal with, and you have to deal with it. Again, expectations. Everybody comes in wanting, you know, I'll do this for you, you do this for me, but nobody talks about what the quid pro quo really is. And then everybody's disappointed later that the thing they thought they were gonna get isn't gonna happen. And what's worse is, like at EW10, I try and tell people, when the first time they come in and they pitch us on something, I say, that's terrific. What do you want EWTN to do? That's what I need to understand. I understand what you're supposedly doing for me. I want to understand what you want us to give you, because that's the crux of it for me. Because if I can't do it, I'm going to tell you up front, I can't do it. Because the last thing I want anybody to do, and I tell them, don't spend money, don't do this, don't make promises to your friends. There's nothing worse than somebody walking out the door saying, I'm going to be da 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 on TV, and they're going to have a series, and tell all my friends, and then they find out it doesn't happen. It's not the not happening, it's the embarrassment. I thought you were going to be on TV, what happened? I'm disappointed. It's like the people who, you know, you, you, they want to go see Mother Angelica, and you say, okay, you can come, you know, I, it's always amazing to me, people, they'll do anything, I'm happy to go there, and then if they're not having lunch with her, they're all disappointed. I don't understand how that is, but that's just human nature, I guess. But again, you got to be careful about discerning whose will this is. Is it God's will or is it your will? Let me update myself. Steve Jobs said, innovation distinguishes between a leader and a follower. And again, that's what that Steve Jobs is all about. Also said, sometimes when you innovate, you make mistakes. You have to make mistakes. Thomas Edison made how many bad light bulbs before he hit on the right one? It is best to admit them quickly, get on with improving your other innovations. And that's really important. That's what people like to see. They like to see somebody who's willing to admit that they were wrong and they made a mistake. I think we all like to see that. It's very hard, especially when you're admitting a mistake to somebody uh, that you're not thrilled with or you're annoyed at the fact that they're right. I remember there was an old TV show, uh, was it Happy Days or something with the character Fonzie where one, he could never say he was sorry or something and he, and he stuttered as he tried to say it because it was impossible for him in his machismo persona to say it. Uh, but remember, the past is prologue. We can't worry about that. We gotta deal with what we, where we are today and how we can go forward, you know? And again, I started on the thing with Mother earlier about the family business. You know, sometimes even people at EW Tim say, oh, you know, you know, it's not the same as it used to be. You know, we're doing, you know, you know, and that's, well, Mother, when she was here, it wasn't, you know, like that. And, uh, you know, it's always difficult. You're, we're, we're doing the best we can to stay true to Mother's mission. Uh, the people who are running EWTN with the people like are the people that Mother Angelica picked, so if they're not happy with them, they should go talk to Mother, because she's the one who picked us. Uh, she's the one who said the network is in the right hands, and, you know, very, actually very uh, prophetic, because it was that summer. Shortly after that, she had her first of two strokes. Mother Angelica shouldn't be here. I saw her after the second stroke. She should be dead. She should have died on Christmas Eve which we all thought was appropriate because El Divino Nino, she loves Christmas. So we thought maybe that's, he was gonna come that day and take her. But 
she's still with us and praying. And the network has grown more in the last number of years, 10 years plus, since she's been up there praying for us than it was when she was down involved with the network on a regular basis. And as we used to ask Mother, you know, uh, what's going to happen when you're not here anymore, Mother? What's going on? Mother would just say, God wants it to go on, it will. If he doesn't want it to go on, it won't. And I was mentioning something to uh, Professor Gans, we were talking on the way up, and I said, I think some of the reason, I've always felt like the reason EWTN is in the middle of the buckle of the Bible belt was because it had to be a work of God. What the heck is a Catholic network? Sometimes I say, isn't it sad that the largest Catholic media network in the world is coming from Birmingham, Alabama? With a billion Catholics out there, I mean, we should, be, we should own Hollywood or be broadcasting directly from the Vatican. You know, and it's the same thing, I think, in Steubenville. And the idea of here you are in this thing, people go, Steubenville, what is that? But, you know, if it was someplace else, you might think, oh, it just worked out that way. Instead, it really is because it's a work of God. And it makes it clear who's, who's doing things. At least, you know, I'm not here all the time. And I know, as I say to people when they come to work at EWTN, I said, this isn't Catholic family land. I know that's in Bloomington. But, um, but there's a lot of original sin running through the halls, and you're going to run into it. So don't, don't be disappointed. You know, don't be disappointed that that's there, too. But again, working in the family business, the way I always thought about it, I came from New York. The family businesses I always saw were Greek diners. Everybody worked, and nobody got paid very much, okay? Because it's your family. And that was Mother's attitude when she talked about family. We're in this together, okay? So you need to sacrifice more. And you should be willing to sacrifice more because you're in that family and you care about your family. It's not just a job. You're not just getting paid. It's a mission. It's a family. Not we're going to take it easier on you. You should be able to get away with it because you're my son and I feel bad for you. So you can go play video games. It's like, no, my expectation is you work even harder. So I think it's important to remember that when, you know, certainly in religious organizations, I think sometimes you get a little bit of that in there. Well, I, I thought this was a Christian organization. You know, I'm very kind of disappointed in the way I was treated. You know, it's like, well, maybe you were mistreated, but maybe you deserve to be mistreated. You know, maybe you just, <laughs> I don't know, you know. I remember one example that I had with Mother Angelica when, back in 1996. She decided that one of the things that were, wasn't out there was holy reminders, as she called them. And she, so she created the Religious Catalog Show. Uh, and I was, the, she called me on the phone at home and said, well, we're doing this show, Doug, what are we going to do? Uh, who's going to produce it? I said, I'll do it, Mother, whatever, we'll, we'll do the show. Okay. Uh, and a lot of people had consternation about it. Oh, Mother's selling stuff. Oh, this is not going to be good. And so there, there was a lot of that going on. And uh, people didn't think it was a good idea and everything else. And I was trying to figure out how to make it work without making it look too much like suddenly we're selling our souls here. We're not selling indulgences. And uh, we did this show because Mother really wanted to get Catholic objects back into people's homes. She really thought a big problem was people don't have the Sacred Heart picture and the Divine Mercy picture, and they need good Catholic books and things like that. That was really the driving force behind it. Uh, it doesn't really generate a lot of money for EW10. I wish it did, but it doesn't. Um, I know I'm responsible for it. So uh, anyway. After we did the show, and you know the sisters weren't happy. Nobody was happy. Everybody was unhappy. You know, they thought the phone number should have been up more. We're not selling it. You know, and I'm like, you know. So the next day, I'm walking in the studio. Mother, you know, comes through when she was still on the crutches. And trust me, she walked around with crutches all the time until she was healed. Okay, it's true. And I was there when she was healed, and I saw her dancing in the parking lot. And I'll tell you a story about that too. But. 
the point being, she came over to me and I said, Mother, I'm really sorry. And she just gave me a hug and she said, don't worry, honey, we're both learning. You know? And she used to say that about the network. We don't know what we were doing, but we're getting better at it. You know, it was kind of another one of her lines. So again, that idea that, uh, yeah, she wasn't necessarily happy that it worked out the way it did, but she knew that, you know, it would get better. Another one of the theories that I've ascribed to now, which I also noticed somebody wrote a book about, so I guess I'm behind the curve, because uh, I came out of the world of Rainbow and New York and everything where we went on all these you know, uh, open adventure things that teach you to build teamwork and you know, working on uh, you know, whatever, wires and pulling things together and all these tests that are designed to teach you how you go through a web and you, the team and you can use the other team. And it's all this team building, think outside the box is really the big thing you hear all the time, which is a great thing. You know, if you're trying to draw a line and connect it and you realize you, nobody said you couldn't draw it outside the box, that's good. It's good for people to be creative, to think new ways of doing things. But in my mind, thinking inside the box comes first, okay? I know it sounds like a sign of contradiction, but the cross is too. It's the whole idea of, you know, I find so many people spending all their time talking about the things that they wish they could do if they only had this, who have yet to maximize what they have. The first thing you should do in any job you have as a leader or anything is you're, take the things you control and fix them. Make sure everything you're doing is running it the best way it can before you start worrying about what everybody else is doing. Okay, make sure it's running right. Think inside your box, think, think of the things to span of control, what you have, do those things first and get them working. And then, you know, if people see that, then they believe, hey, you know what's going on? I see you know how to make things work in a limited environment. And when you work in the church, resources are gonna be limited. That's just a fact. And so you're gonna to have to be, if you haven't figured it out already, you're gonna to have to be very creative in how you make that work. So sitting around and telling the bishop you need $12 million or something isn't gonna make it happen. What you gotta do is come back with some way of showing how I can do this and it doesn't affect you, okay? And a lot of times, if at least you get it started, if you get it moving, once it gets momentum, build it and they will come. That's another theory of mine, you know, from that movie, what is it, The Field of Dreams? build it and they will come. It's the same idea. If you do something and get it started, when we created a format, we create a forum for EWTN or when we were on Facebook or other things, the whole idea is to say, here we are now, and we have more and more people coming to us now and saying, I can create product, I can do that. I see there's an opportunity now of what I can do with this. I can't create something and, and run it in my garage, but I see there's a place for it to get out to people. And so build it and they will come. Uh, and that whole idea of team building. But anyway, I think thinking inside the box is very important. Uh, as Tolkien said, it's the job that's never started that takes the longest to finish. Now, also, well, you can take that with a grain of salt because he also said, go not to the elves for counsel for they will say both no and yes. So I don't know, you know, <laughs> you can figure out where he was coming from there, so. George Patton said, a good plan violently executed now is better than a perfect plan executed next week. A lot of times I talk about it in the idea of don't make the perfect, the enemy of the good. If you've got a good plan, let's get started with it. You know, in the Civil War, General McClellan used to drill back and forth his soldiers all the time. He never fought anybody. So Abraham Lincoln asked him, General, if you're not doing anything with the army, could I borrow them this weekend, you know? I mean, why do we have an army? It's an army to fight. That's what it is, not to drill. And so for us, sometimes we have to make sure that we're not waiting for that perfect moment to get things started. But that takes risk. And that takes leadership for people to believe you can do it. 
The best way to predict the future is to create it. That's what Peter Drucker said. Same idea. Good, better, best. Never let it rest till your good is better and your better is best. St. Jerome. So of course, we're always striving for it to be the best it could possibly be. But you've got to start somewhere, okay? This school started somewhere. Mother Angelica started in the garage. You know, the old $200, that's all true. You read Raymond Arroyo's book about Mother Angelica, that's, it's highly accurate, you know? Again, focus on what we can do and not focus on what we can't do. Because that's what a lot of people do. They spend all their time talking about, if only I could do this, if only I could do that. Another aspect of communication, I think, in leadership in an organization, too, that's very difficult with people is this concept that says, if other people would just do their job, I'd be fine. I'm killing myself. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. If they just did their job, I'd be fine. A lot of times, those other people don't know that they had a job they were supposed to be doing or that you had a problem with it. I've had more people come up to me in business, uh, in mission, or even when I worked in New York, who were complaining forever about something. And I'd say, well, who are you telling? Well, the other operator. I said, well, is he going to fix it for you? It's like complaining to your brother and sister, you know, when it's something about your parents. Now, if you just want to kvetch, as we'd say in New York about it, that's fine. It gets you off. You feel better. You complained a little bit. But if you really want to change something, you've got to go to the people who have the power and the authority to change it. But that takes a risk. You have to be willing to do that. And then you also then have to be willing to defend why you think that's the case. The other thing I learned from a uh, fellow who was a Princeton basketball player when I was working in sports, he said, don't live with uncertainty. If you're dealing with something and you don't understand how it's supposed to work, stop and figure it out. Or go find somebody who knows what it is. There's more people working around. There was a Seinfeld episode for years, uh, downtown. Well, I'll see you downtown. And they were trying, George couldn't figure out, what, he'd never ask what downtown was, you know, whether it was a song or what was supposed to be going on. So he was making all these wrong decisions based on information that he didn't understand. So when you don't know, just own up and say, I'm sorry, I don't know what that means. Uh, and maybe I'm stupid, but I, I have to be honest with you, I don't understand. You know, again, be willing to admit you don't know. You don't know everything as the leader. You're not supposed to be, you know, uh, infallible. A lot of people feel that way. If I'm in charge, I should know. Best idea wins. That's what it should be. Even if the one comes from the person you like the least. That's the tough one. It's one thing when your friend comes up with it. It's another thing when the guy who you really don't like came up with it. That's tough. But as I said to somebody who works for us, I know, I said, if we deal with a particular company or producer, and for some reason you or I don't particularly like them or whatever, for whatever reason, they remind me of somebody I hated or something years ago, whatever the reason I might not like them, if it's the right decision for EWTN, then that's what we do. And when you work for your company, that's what you have to do in light of your conscience and your faith. But at the end of the day, you have to sublimate your own personal ego to do what's right to do the thing that should get done and the thing that's going to benefit the most people. You know, because uh, we were talking before about St. Paul and somebody's, you know, and I think it's very true in the Catholic way. It's when I came to understand my faith better, I'm not a theologian, you know, I'm a tapeworm, you know, I listen to tapes and all these things all those years. That whole idea that the Catholic Church is always about both and. It's never this or that, it's both and. It, it's justice and mercy. Everything goes together. There's always a balance. And St. Paul said, you know, teach the tr truth, but in love. You, you're supposed to do it in love. 
But remember, even St. Paul had Alexander the coppersmith, who he didn't like. It's in the scriptures. That Alexander the coppersmith has done me wrong. So even St. Paul, great saint, great writer, you know, didn't mean he didn't have people he didn't like or people he had to deal with. I mean, was it Barnabas he couldn't get along with? I mean, there was somebody he left behind. I'm not a scripture scholar, but you can check it out. But there, there are, you know, you realize you can't be happy with everybody, but you have to be able to work together as best you can. Uh, Leo Pascalia was one of these uh, feel-good thinkers in the, in the 70s. He was on PBS all the time. Uh, I used to like him, but he said, the easiest thing to be in the world is you. The most difficult thing to be is what other people want you to be. Don't let them put you in that position. And that's what happens sometimes. I was in a situation where I was being asked to do something in a particular company that was uh, quite problematic for me. And a lot of pressure was put onto me. And I wish I said, I, I could tell you that I stood up that well. I didn't. But, you know, I rationalized a lot of things. But, you know, you gotta watch out for that. There was a line from a movie that says, you can get through a lot of things in life, but who can get through a day without a, one good juicy rationalization? About why I did this or why I didn't do this. Steve Jobs said, my favorite things in life don't cost any money. It's really clear that the most precious resource we all have is time. And that's important even from, a, from your own personal life, to realize that nobody ever died sitting you know, in their deathbed after being the, running a company saying, gee, I wish I spent more time at work. They, they talk about how they wish they spent more time with their family and things like that. So you've got to be careful about what you want because what you spend your time on is what's important to you, as one of the saints would say. You know, you've got to make sure that you're spending your time. You've only got 24 hours. In my mind, life is a barter deal. You've got 24 hours every day to trade for whatever you want. So if you want to be this or that, you want to be in the greatest shape in the world, good. Spend 10 hours working out every day. You know, you can do other things. You'll get really good at it. You may not be the best because sometimes there's an intrinsic aspect to it or a DNA thing that helps one person versus another, an affinity. But if you can spend that time, then you'll, uh, I, I think you still have the opportunity to succeed. And there's another one, Steve Jobs said, sometimes life hits you in the head with a brick. Don't lose faith. Now, I'm not sure what faith Steve Jobs was talking about, though he seemed to have some sort of sense of eternal in his final days when he was dying, if you tracked what he was saying. But that whole idea, but I think if we relate it to our Catholic faith, I think that's the thing. You know, you're gonna get hit with bricks. Don't lose faith. Churchill would say, you have enemies, good. That means you've stood up for something, sometime in your life. If you're not standing up for anything, you can get along with everybody, you know? Nobody wants to give anybody a hard time, but there's times you're gonna be forced, as Mother Angelica used to say to us, the day is coming when people will have to make a decision. They'll have to get off the fence. Are they with Jesus or not? You know, the Laodicea, you know, kind of lukewarm, kind of religiosity, isn't gonna play anymore. And we can see, as the secular society gets more and more focused on things, as we're seeing, uh, people are gonna to have to really stand up, like martyrs did in the past, and decide, what do you really believe? Mother Teresa said, there's always the danger that we may just do the work for the sake of the work. This is where the respect and the love and the devotion comes in, that we do it to God, to Christ. That's why we try to do it as beautifully as possible. So keep that in mind in everything you're trying to do. And as Edith Stein said before she was Saint Benedict of the Cross, 
The nation doesn't simply need what we have, it needs what we are. An initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Faithandreason.com. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind.